Welcome to the CPA Advisory Show. I am Jeremy Wells, and with me as always is my co-host, Chris Hervishan. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Jeremy, how are you? Doing great. I am doing all right. So uh, I have been noticing conversations lately, and it's got me thinking about uh, a topic that is is something that I've had to think about over the last four years, four and a half years, trying to run my own firm. And I'm curious on what your take is. So let, let's just jump right into it. And let's say that you've got a prospective client come to you or maybe an existing client. And it's something, uh, this client's bringing something to you that uh, you, you've never done before and, and they want you to do it for them. Some, some sort of service or project or, or something like that. Um, what do you do? How do you handle that situation? It, it, it doesn't fall within the normal scope of, you know, what you do for this client and really what you've even ever offered any other clients. It's something that would be new to you, new to your firm. Where do you start? Good question. I would break it into two categories. Is it something that I have never done professionally or is it something that my firm has never done? meaning that we've just, we've literally just never done it. Like for instance, we've never done trust and estate tax returns. So if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, can you do this um, tax return for, you know, this trust or estate, then no, we can't. <laughs> we probably could, we could probably figure it out. We could probably work our way through it, but no, that's not something that we do. It's not something that we want to do. So we're not going to do that. Um, when you get into other things that, yeah, that I have done professionally, I know how to do them. Um, maybe we do them internally, but we haven't done them for a client. Yeah, we will do that. And so this is kind of where I want to punt it back to you. Um, we've got an example in our firm right now where we ha we do this subscription-based service. We talked about that on prior shows and we wrap custom automation into that. And we have done a terrible job marketing that as far as what custom automation is, but basically business process automation, whatever that means for whatever client, right? We do that a lot in the in the firm itself. So we're getting ready to offer that as a project. So a standalone, something that we're going to have to price. We've never priced it before. We've never sold that as a standalone project type service before. So I think that gets kind of into your questions. How do you, how do you price it? But that's something that we've done, not something that we haven't done. And I would say that if it's something that you've never done professionally and you're trying to figure out how to price it, then you probably shouldn't do it period because you've never done it professionally unless you can get the expertise and the competence to do it and get that fairly quickly in order to be able to deliver that service. You, you, those are the things that you shouldn't be doing because that gets into a whole host of other issues. So I'm, I'm curious what your kind of take is on, on those things. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. So, so you should definitely have some like firewalls there, right? You should definitely have some hard nose that these are, I mean, let, let's, let's set aside the obvious ones of, this is illegal or this is something that is beyond the scope <laughs> of my license, right? Like this is something that I absolutely cannot uh, do. But, but I mean, I yeah. think these kinds of things, um, you know, and, and I'm also thinking from the perspective of, um, you know, the, the, the relatively new practitioner or the one who is starting this as a side gig and doesn't have much of a structure in which to develop the expertise who really doesn't understand the difference between, uh, for example, when, when sometimes we're asked to do things that might appear more like legal practice, right? Like setting up an LLC. Do you set up an LLC for a client or not, right? A huge, big debate among accountants and, and attorneys, whether that's legal yeah. practice or not, right? So like, I think- we, we are, We're on the side that does not. Yeah. What do you guys do? Right. Um, if, it's, if it's 
if it's simple, if it, if it, and again, this is like I have firewalls around this, right? So if it's a single member LLC and there is no concern about uh, partnership agreement and and you know all this kind of stuff, um, then I will I will use a one of these online legal services just to get it registered, to get a uh, sort of draft operating agreement set up for them because it's you know again one single person making an agreement with himself or herself. I'm not too worried about, you know, getting into a bunch of legalese. If it's anything more complicated than that, if it's an actual corporation, if it's, um, if it's multi-member, I'm, I'm going to send them to an actual attorney. Now, whether they actually go to an attorney or they use some legal service or something on their own, at that point, they're on their own. I don't really care what they do. Yeah. For that. Operating agreements is another great example of that. Like maybe you've got an LLC, a client who's got an LLC who's already set up and they come to you and it's like, Hey, and you say, Hey, do you have an operating agreement? No. Like, we, we don't do the operating agreement either. I know accountants who will and who will write the operating agreement, mm. but that is a contract that is a legal document, right? Like I, yeah, that's I would, a go harder, go home strategy. No, you give me the operating agreement, right? And okay. And, and a similar example is, um, so if you, once you've act, if you've, if you're lucky enough to have a client that actually has the operating agreement, now, how do we interpret it, right? Because there are going to be some tax provisions in there, especially with the partnership. For example, right, there should be language about guaranteed payments versus distributions, things like that. And so, um, you know, I had a situation with a client a couple months ago where they brought on some limited partners, the silent investors, and the founders, the three founders were trying to figure out how to get payments to themselves that weren't distributions. And so then they could avoid having to... Uh, not necessarily report, they were fine with the LPs knowing about it, but they didn't want to also then have to split that portion of the profits with the LPs, right? They wanted to reserve some funds for themselves. So of course I asked them, you know, well, what does your operating agreement say about guaranteed payments? Cause I knew they weren't paying themselves any yet. Um, I, they didn't know. And so I told them, well, go talk to your attorney that helped you draft the OA. I had a copy of it, so I knew they had one. Um, and the attorney, the, a couple of days later, the client sends me a screenshot of the attorney saying, that's a question for your CPA. And I wrote him back and I said, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's that's not. Awesome. Because this is, this is asking me to interpret a legal document that I didn't have anything to do with drafting and I'm not going down that road, right? So uh, we ended up kicking that back and forth. And, you know, it's situations like that that get awkward, but I think you've got to stand your ground, right? Like you can't. You can't start waging into the territories of malpractice because you're putting your client or you're worried about putting your client in an awkward position between you and the attorney. But um, to me, that was a situation of the attorney not doing his job and wanting to you know, pass the buck on to the CPA, um, but also at the same time not realizing that he was asking the CPA to do work that he should be doing. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of these situations where if you're not if you're not aware, either because you you lack the the experience or the expertise, if you're not aware of where those hard lines are, where those firewalls should be, then you know you you could run into some problems, and you could start doing work that's not only out of scope, but it's also just completely outside the purview of what you're licensed to be able to doing. For sure, the other option there is to go partners with somebody who has that expertise, somebody who can mentor you through that engagement. I've done that before, and it's wildly helpful. Um, but that's one way where you can kind of put, like you said, firewalls around the engagement. You can still get some of that expertise, and you can get some help along the way. Now, you're probably going to have to pay that person. And will your engagement now be as profitable as you want it to be or as it should be? No, but that's the price of education. 
right? You would pay that for CPE. So it's kind of sort of the same thing, but you've got to have super strong guardrails around things that you don't have expertise in, or frankly, just don't do them. You're better off just not doing them, especially if that's not something where you want your firm to be, um, work, you know, a niche that you want your firm to be in long-term for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that's that's one end of the spectrum, right? Is these things that you can you can put these hard nose out there, right? This is not work that we'll do. For example, in my firm, that's sales tax. Like I will not do sales tax for a client. I Ooh, did it one time, one too. but for one client, I tried it, didn't work. Now I know <laughs> I never want to go down that path again, right? Um, but again, this is part of, you know, I, I say that and then I, I immediately realize, well, this is part of, you know, being a firm owner is every now and then you've got to take on some work that you've never done before, try it, realize that, hey, this is either something that works just fine. I was talking to a CPA over the weekend uh, who had the the opposite experience. She tried out sales tax for one client, uh, used an outside service. I think it was Avalar or TaxJar, one of these services, realized that uh, she could outsource all the work to this service had a pretty decent profit margin left over and now she's running with it, right? She's offering this to multiple clients. Um, and so like, she obviously had a very different experience and you know, in a way it makes me think about, you know, should I go back and revisit <laughs> this decision? So, but again, it's, it's part of the experience, the expertise that you gain over time. So if you're just getting started, it's a much more difficult question, right? Because this seems like, okay, here's a potential revenue stream. Here's something that, you know, I could offer to add value to a client, to help a client, and, but I've never done it. I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Um, and, mm -hmm. I, and I think these are, these are the very tough cases. Now you're talking about something with the uh, process automation that is something that you've got some familiarity with, but not necessarily as a service that you're trying to sell right and so i think that's a little bit easier of a situation you have some idea of what the work that's going to need to go into it at least in general terms right now every client is going to be different some clients might be more difficult than others or um you know might be more uh, time intensive than others but at least you've got a an idea of where you're going to start right um you know this is some work that you've kind of done for yourself you've kind of done it for other clients whether it was actually delivered as a separate service or not so you've got an idea about that but you know, I think, I think that's an interesting case as well. So you know, I think this is the first question you've got to ask yourself, right? Is, you know, on both a professional and a personal level, right? Is this anything that you have any kind of remote experience in whatsoever? Is this something that you should even be trying to act like you have any, you know, ability to actually go out there and do? That's the first question you got to ask. I think the problem is, you know, especially when you have, a, a prospect or a client come to you, ask you to do this thing. The first reaction is sure. I can make money off of that. Right. And that's, that's probably the wrong yeah. way to think about it. Um, you know, I get that initial response early on, right. When you need revenue. Um, but I, I think that also uh, can cause problems when you lead with, is this a revenue generator versus is this something that one, I have any kind of ability to actually do and, is this something that I even want to do in the first place? Okay. So let's assume that you have the ability to do it. It's something that you've done professionally, whether in a prior W2 or at a prior firm, or maybe you've done it a little bit in your firm. So let's assume that you've got the, you've got the expertise to do it. And let's say that 
maybe you have the desire to do it. You're not sure. Like your, your example with the sales tax is interesting. Like maybe I want to do it. Maybe I don't. So this is kind of your trial balloon to figure out. Yeah, well, we'll figure out whether this is something that I want to do long term or not. That's cool, too. Yeah, I try something before you know if you like it. Right. Now, where do you start? Where do you go from there? So you've got the expertise. You think you might want to do this long term or longer term. What's the next question that you ask yourself? Uh, so I think the the next question is what what value is the if you're doing this for a client, right? Like what value is our, is this actually going to provide to the client? Um, and and this gets back to uh, the value conversation. Now, whether you actually use value pricing or fixed fee pricing or something else, or um, even time based billing, I think regardless of the way you're actually going to think about pricing or billing for this work, you still need to start from the perspective of, is this something that a client will actually even get any value from, right? And there are two ways to answer that question. And, and really, I think you should do both. The first way to, to answer that question is to just go talk to the client, right? Is this something that would move the needle for you at all? Uh, especially if this is something that you've noticed independently of the client, um, that you think this is something that would help them. This is something that would add more value to them. This is something they should be aware of. Right. So for example, I have some clients where I could be doing more advisory work for them. I could be presenting them with more financial data. I could be presenting them with a dashboard. I have no idea if they actually want that. I have no idea if they actually feel the need for any of that, right? So would I just be spinning my wheels and trying to build something out, whether it's a, a service or, or some sort of productized thing, right? Would that even be worth it? And so the first thing is just go ask them, right? Is this something that you think would move the needle? And maybe not ask them so directly, right? But trying to get at that sort of question. Um, there's a great uh, book that uh, I have started reading and try to start implementing some of the principles from called the mom test. And it's, it's the what the mom test, right? Uh, the, the, the idea here is that, uh, if, <laughs> if you go to your mom and say, Hey mom, do you think this is a good idea? Of course your mom's going to say yes. Right. Of course she's going to okay. say yes. If you go to a client and say, Hey, would you like for me to do this for you? Sure. Why not? Right. Like a client's always going to take you doing free stuff for them. The real, that's not the question you're trying to ask though. Right. And so the, the, the point here is we need to get at, is this something that the market would actually pay us for and happily so, right? Otherwise the answer is always going to be, yeah, sure. Do that for me. I don't care. But is this actually going to be something profitable? And so that is the first angle. The second angle, uh, is, is, is this something that internally, is it going to move the needle? Right. And so like you're in this situation talking about the process automation, right? Is this something that is not only going to be something that that client will see as something beneficial, but is this something that's going to move the needle for the entire operation? Right. So if you develop this into a service or product and you start offering it out there, what is that going to do to your capacity planning? Right. What is that going to do to your overall you know, operation? Is that going to pull resources away from other profitable fulfillment lines, right? Where, you know, now you've got to, re you've got to shift resources around. That's going to be people's time. It's going to be their focus. And so, you know, does it actually make sense internally as well? Um, so, you know, and, and again, this is a question for me I, as somebody, as somebody who is running a solo firm, 
every new service, new product that I offer is going to take away from something else, right? Like I already have a full plate. I already have plenty of work to be doing elsewhere. So if I want to do something else for a client, especially something that's not, you know, already a standard part of my offering, well, where am I going to pull that from? Right? Where am I going to pull that time and energy and focus away from? So that's the, that's that's the second uh, you know, place that, that I would start looking, or is this something that, you know, I can outsource, delegate, automate, you know, all those sorts of things. Right. Mm-hmm, for sure. So the first question, which is the mom test thing, like going and asking your client, Hey, will this move the needle for you? What happens if you don't have a, if you've got a product or a service, but you don't have a client that would be a fit for that. So you're trying to move outside of your current client base and you don't have those people to go ask. Like what, I don't know what the example case would be here, but let's just say you can't ask your client because they're just not going to know and they're not going to provide you with any useful feedback. Or maybe you did and they're just like, Hey, look, Jeremy, I don't even know what that is or why, you know, why I would need it, but you still think that there's a market for this. Now, what are you going to do as far as going out to the actual broader market, uh, you know, outside of your client base to say, Hey, is this something that's cool? Is this something that's going to move the needle? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So uh, this is where I start to come down on uh, the, uh, this is my sort of general response to this broader question of, you know, I want to do this thing, but I don't know how to price it. And I think the, you know, that statement, that part of it right there, that I don't know how to price it is indicative of a broader problem, which is something along the lines of, like you're saying, you don't know if there's even a market for it, right? One, uh, or two, this is not something you've ever done professionally, personally, you haven't done it personally because it's not an itch that you've ever needed scratched, right? It's not a problem that you've ever noticed in your own business. Um, or it's or, not, a, or what if, yeah. What if you're even just going and getting your first client period? Yeah. I, right. I mean, this is, this is the problem, right? Is so, you know, you have no perspective whatsoever on what the market is for this thing, or if anybody even needs this, or really if anybody's ever going to pay anything, to for this solution that you've come up with or this service that you're trying to offer. And I think in this case, my response to that is if you don't know how to price it, then you probably shouldn't be selling it. And that's a phrase, that's a that's a statement that I tell others and it's something that I have to tell myself a lot too because I often, probably on a weekly basis, I come up with some service or some, you know, productized service or something, right? That I think, ooh, that would be fun or, Ooh, that'd be cool. Or, Ooh, I know somebody who could use this. Give us examples. But I don't, if it's know. every week, you gotta have yeah, some. Right. But, but I, but I don't know. So one right now, like I'm saying with, with a lot of clients is, is dashboarding, right? Is this something that they're even interested in? You know, and it, I don't know how to price, you know, dashboarding. I don't know how to price, you know, pulling in all the financial and non-financial data and packaging this up and putting this out there. It, it's something I've never done for a client. Um, it's something that I've never done professionally. I never did this working for any of the other firms that I've worked for. Um, and it's something that a client of mine has never come to me asking for. So, but it's something that I know is out there and it's something that I know could be useful if I could find the right client for it. Um, but you know, it's, it's, again, I have no perspective. I have, uh, no way of knowing, is this something I actually need to offer? And if so, at what price point? Right. So for right now, I'm saying to myself, if I don't know how to price this, 
I don't know how to market this. I don't know how to package it up and deliver it. I probably shouldn't be selling it. Now, selling it and doing it are two different things. And I think that's important to keep in mind here. I'm not saying don't do it because I have put together dashboards for clients, right? I, I have done that before and I've done it in a couple different ways and I've put it there out there to the client. So I've done it. The question is not, should I do it? The question is, should I sell it? Because once you go from the realm of, this is something I want to do, I want to test it, I want to try it, I want to show it to a client, I want to see what their reaction is, right? You have to do that. That's research and development. That's innovation. That's part of every business. But I think to go from that to now we're actually selling it is a huge leap. And I and I think the, the drive to, to pull in more revenue clouds the decision-making about that transition. All right. So, so yeah, let me, let me give an example, right? So if, you know, a, a client were to come to me and say, Hey, I don't really feel like just looking at the financial statements every month, the, the P and L and the balance sheet. I don't feel like that's moving the needle for me. I need you to create something that I could just click a button and then I could see all this different information. Right. So, so just go build that for me. Fine. Okay. I'll go build that for you. That's not going to be a very productive use of time right? Um, one, I, I need a lot more information from them. Two, I've never done this before. So it's going to take me a long time, right? And a lot of focus and a lot of research to sit here and do this. Now, it might be something that pays off in the long run. I can go look at some examples. I can do some copycat kind of things. Maybe I can find a software that already exists that does this for me, right? That would be probably an ideal place to start. But in the meantime, right? There needs to be a lot more conversations with that client over what they really need. And maybe in the maybe, you know, through the course of that, we find out that the thing that they thought was a problem wasn't even really a problem to begin with. Right. Maybe they were looking for something specific that's already in what I'm doing for them and they just didn't know how to find it. Right. So that's a possibility. But the if I jumped from, hey, I want you to do this thing for me or I want I need you to deliver this thing to me and I jump right into well, how much can I sell it to them for? Right. That's a monumental leap. And I just don't think that trying to make that leap is the right thing to do in business. So here's what I would do instead, right? If somebody came to me and said, I want you to do this thing for me. One, I would try to find the easiest solution that I could, right? I would try to find some sort of existing software thing that does it. And I would show it to them. Sign up for a tri free trial, right? And turn it around and show it to them. Okay, cool. I haven't really spent anything, maybe a little bit of time. The client sees it. Maybe they're disappointed with it. Maybe they hate it. Maybe they think it's the worst thing ever. And I say, okay, fine. Well, obviously, you know, we need to work on this more. Let's have some more conversations. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe they like it, but they want to tweak it. All right, well, let's figure out what you want to tweak about it. And then we start tweaking it. Maybe we realize the software that I started off with isn't exactly solving that problem. I find some better software or I start building something on my own. And through this process, I'm learning more and more, not only about how to design and package and offer this new service that I'm developing, but I'm also learning more about this client and maybe other clients like this one about what they're really trying to get at, right? What questions they're really trying to answer, what information they really need. And through that process, I'm developing not only a better product or a better service for them, but I'm also developing my expertise as well. But notice this whole time, I'm not worried about profit. I'm not worried about even making money off of this. Why? because we're just not there yet. This is not something that I feel like I should be offering as a paid service. Two reasons why. One, I don't know how to price it. I could price it $100 a month. I could price it $1,000 a month. I could price it $500 an hour. Who cares? And I could go ask others who are doing work like that, what do you price it at? They're going to give me those same 
amounts, $100, $1,000, $150 an hour. None of that matters. Because the only thing that matters is that I know what I'm putting into it and I know the value that my client's getting out of it. Right? Those are the only two numbers that matter is what I think I should be selling it for and what, which I don't know yet, and the value that my client is getting out of it, which he doesn't know yet. Right. So how are we going to come up with a price that makes sense without knowing those two components of it? The second thing is, as soon as you sell it for money, the expectations shoot through the roof. Right. And I'm just in an experimental phase here. I'm trying this thing. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to be a colossal failure. I don't know if it's going to be a great thing and pay off huge. I don't know if it's going to collapse and the client hates it and the client fires me. Right. But as soon as I put a price tag on it, now the expectations are through the roof. I have to deliver something good. And I don't know if I can do that yet. I'm just not ready. Whereas if I do it for free, if I do it pro bono, and I'm not saying that people shouldn't get paid for the work that they're doing, right? I've never said that. I will never say that. But in this particular case, right, if I do this pro bono, if I do this with the expectation that, look, this is free for now, because I don't really know what I'm doing. You don't even really know what you're trying to get out of this. This is an experiment. Let's just see if it works. And if it works, then we can talk about it. Right. So I, for, for that reason, I come back to this. If you don't know how to price it, you probably shouldn't be selling it. OK. There's a lot to unpack there. I know. I think I, know. I've, I obviously cow. have some thoughts on this. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> you weren't kidding when you sent me that text message last night. Um, so I think dashboarding is a really interesting example. So let's let's unpack that a little bit more. Dashboarding is one of those things where you can go buy buy something that's prepackaged, and there's tons of those. And it seems like there's a new one every single week. So you can go buy that service or go get a free trial, connect some different data sources, and that's just a conversation with a client. Like, hey, what are you using? QBO, Zero, blah, 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 blah. Are you using um, Gusto, Harvest, like what time tracking, payroll, like that sort of thing. And just go and find some sort of a software package that you can just hook these things up to, organize it a little bit, that just that doesn't take much time or expertise and then deliver that and say, hey, is this cool? Is this something that's delivering value to you? So there's there's that piece of it. Now, if you're going to go build something soup to nuts, if you're going to use something like a Tableau or a Power BI or a Google Data Studio and you have to build this thing out from scratch and you've got to create different data connectors and you've got to do that on a um, like a one off bespoke type of way, that's a different conversation. So, and you're going to have different conversations with clients. So it could be somebody who just calls you one day randomly and says, Hey, I need a dashboard. It's not something that you've ever done. And so you can have that conversation and say, Hey, look, this is not something I do, but if we have a conversation about it, we can give it a try. You can pay for it later. And, you know, you can hook them up to some sort of software and have them cover the subscription and have them pay you some sort of a maintenance fee or something like that. I think really what this lends itself to really well is the subscription service because under the subscription service, you're not even needing to have that conversation. It's just, you know, we are iterating our service. We are doing some innovation and we're just going to layer that into our service offering, which is kind of like, I think it's um, Ron Baker's whole like Netflix example. Like there's always going to be new content that's coming out. So they, it makes you sticky to that subscription service. Like you're not paying right now with your Netflix subscription for content that's going to be put out 
a year from now or two years from now, you don't even know what that is. You don't know what they're developing or maybe you do, but a terrible example, whatever. Um, but you're not paying for that content that's going to come out in the future. You're paying for the content that you have access to right now. Same thing under a subscription service for an accounting firm. And all the while in the background, you are developing other types of capabilities to keep these people, these clients sticky to you. One of those could be a, could be a dashboarding service and you're building it out in the background. You're iterating through it with a client. You're, you're asking them, is this helpful? Is this not helpful? You, you've got a client base. Maybe it's niche. If it's niche, you should probably already know what, what's going to be important to your clients. And then you can build it around that, but you're iterating. And there's no skin off anybody's back because they're not necessarily paying you or paying you more for it. And you know, you're just kind of doing it in the background. You're not having to track time. You're not having to bill them for every hour, every minute or whatever it is. And it gives you kind of a, like a fail safe in order to be able to do that. The other thing about dashboarding is it's fairly low risk. You're not going to lose your license over a dashboard that is not helpful. <laughs> like you're, you're probably not gonna be breaking any laws, putting a dashboard together. And it's something that you can check. Every accountant is good with spreadsheets. You know what things ultimately should look like in a dashboard. You can quality check it pretty easily. So if you build something out, it doesn't look quite right. You can always check yourself with some sort of spreadsheet. Yeah, it's going to take a lot of work, but you know, it's a fairly low risk product. So I think that that's a really good example to unpack. And I think that if it's one of those things where you don't know how to price it, that that conversation goes away in the subscription service. But if it's something where you've never done it before, you don't know how to price it, you don't want to do some sort of a one-off trial with a client or a client that you've never worked with before, somebody who's new, those are the types of situations that I think what I'm hearing you say is like, you, that's, you should not do that. That's a really bad idea. Yeah, uh, well, absolutely. Absolutely, right. And I, so let, let, let's back up because, you know, you hit on the subscription pricing model, which I... I think is a is a separate conversation, but I also think it ties in well because, and this is something that you know you and I are proponents of. This is something that I am am pretty vocal proponent of uh, online. But the what I think gets missed in the debate conversation, whatever you want to call it, about the sort of uh, time-based or, or more broadly, the, the cost plus way of pricing things, right? Like I'm mm -hmm. doing X, therefore I'm charging you Y versus uh, the value-based or the subscription approach, right? Which is we're going to have this relationship. This relationship is going to generate value X for you. Therefore, I should capture some proportion of that Y and therefore that's how much I'm going to charge you. The, I think what gets lost in that, even though the, the, the value or subscription approach is based on the relationship itself, I think what gets lost in that conversation is the intangible value that's generated through the subscription. And I think that shows up in two mm -hmm. different ways. One is the actual relationship itself, right? You have a deeper relationship when you're not thinking about everything in terms of the one-off work or the time it took you to do that work or the deliverables of that work. You're actually thinking about the relationship itself. How can I improve this relationship? How can I make this relationship more valuable to both sides, right? And then the, the 
other component to that is it's not it's not a one-way street it's not us always giving them more value we get value in return because we now have a relationship on which we can build some trust and that trust buys us the opportunity to innovate to iterate to do things like you're talking about right so i can take an existing subscription client and i can try things now i'm not doing this every day i'm probably doing this maybe once a year right in a relatively limited <laughs> kind of way but right? You have these long-standing existing relationships with clients. And so, you know, you built in and you bought a little bit of forgiveness over time, um, right? In, uh, in uh, the, the seven habits of, of highly successful uh, people, Stephen Covey talks about this is the emotional bank account. And he's talking about two, two people, right? So over time, as that relationship builds, you're both doing nice things for each other. You're both building up your trust with each other. And so you're, you can think about this joint bank account where every time you do something nice for each other, every time the other one does something the other one appreciates, every time you have a moment where you develop a little bit more trust, you're making deposits into this emotional bank account. And every time you do something that hurts the relationship, right? You get into a spat or you, you know, you get caught lying or cheating or whatever, right? Every time something bad to the relationship happens, you have a withdrawal from that account. And so what matters is the overall balance of that account and the trajectory of that account. Is that account growing over time? And I think if we think about our relationships with our clients in a similar kind of way, right? Every time we get generate a little bit of value for them, every time we build a little bit more trust, every time we create a positive response or a positive uh, you know, outcome for them, we build up that account a little bit. And that buys us an opportunity to use them as guinea pigs a little bit, right? To, to test something, to say, hey, what if, you know, I know you've been using the sales platform for a long time. I think it's broken. I think I have a better option. I, I think I have an option. So we're not going to wholesale just change over to a different system. But what if for the next month, you started sending your invoices out of this other sales platform instead, right? Or, you know, maybe they don't have a sales platform yet. Maybe they're using a Word document that they just keep copying and pasting and sending to clients, right? So let's test out this new invoicing system. Now, that's that's a pretty serious decision. That affects their relationship with their customers and how they're getting paid and those kinds of things. So that's a big ask, right? So what if we can just do this in a limited way? Let's try it. If it doesn't work, right? then we can always go back to the old system. But, you know, let me just make a little withdrawal out of this bank account, out of this emotional bank account. Let's try this, right? Or, you know, instead of, you know, me doing my normal thing where I'm just sending you financial statements, give me a month off from that so that I can build this dashboard. And then in three months, we'll meet over, the, we'll meet about this dashboard. We'll look over it. We'll see how this looks. We'll see if you're getting any value from it. If not, we'll go back to the old way, right? Like you can start to experiment. You can start to innovate and do little things like that. But because you're on that subscription model, you have that recurring revenue that you can fall back on so that you're not worried about how do I monetize this, right? How do I pay the expense of developing this new system? I think it's a beautiful right. model, not just for the relationship itself, but also for the opportunities to innovate that it creates for you. Absolutely. So we've got a few minutes left. We've decided that doing these new things inside of a subscription model is probably the safe space, right? The circle of trust. We can do it fairly easily inside of those, inside of those models. So long as we're not doing anything unethical, illegal, where we don't have expertise, obviously the things that you shouldn't be doing, period. Okay, got it. But what do we do outside of the subscription model? How do we price that? So we have a conversation with the client. 
okay, we can do that, build up the value. What is this worth to you? That sort of thing. We can have similar types of conversations to what we're having in the subscription model, similar. We can just tell them, hey, look, we've, we've never done this. We don't offer this, but it's so long as it's a low risk type of engagement that we've never done before, like a dashboard, that's a great example. We will do this and what? It will be what? How much we're we gonna price that for? So there's that piece of it, but then the other piece of it has how do we price the project type work for the market where we're maybe we're gonna put something out on our website and we don't even, we just don't have clients yet or we don't have that, we don't have that feedback loop already built in. How are we going to do that pricing? Yeah, I so if it were me, I, I think I would I would try um, at least one of two different approaches, right? So the first one is pro bono. So I would start off with just yeah. one or two clients, and I would go pro bono, right? And I would say, look, this is something that you know we've not done before, but it's something I'm interested in offering. Would you be willing to let me do this thing for you? And again, client's never going to say no, right? Would you be willing to let me do this thing for you? Right. And, you know, with the understanding that for right now it's free, if it's successful, we can negotiate something. But for right now it's free. But I just I the only thing I ask in return is your honest feedback. Right. So you spend a month, two months, three months, whatever, building this thing out. You present it to them. You show it to them. You let them get some value from it. Right. And then you try to get their honest feedback. Right. Is this something that you really like? Is this something you would pay for? And I think this is the professional services firm version of the 14 day free trial to some, you know, SaaS sure. or whatever. Right. Like, you know, it, Absolutely. It, and, and, and then you get to the end of that trial period and it's like, all right, now, now it's time to put your, you know, put your money where your mouth is, right. For the last two or three months, you've been getting some value from this. Now, are you willing to pay for this? Right. So that's one way you still mm -hmm. got to come up with that figure, but in the meantime, you've seen the, the value generated, right. You've seen if there's actually been any monetary value created out of this. The and yeah. when you get to the end of that, of delivering that thing, you should have an idea in your head. This yeah. is worth whatever, or, you know, like you have some sort of general idea of what your effort and the value that you built. So you have an idea in your head, go to the client, just ask them yeah. like, what, like this is done. What do you think? What could be improved? What would you have paid for this? Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, the, the, the flip side of that is if, is if you're struggling to get any responses on that or what you think are honest responses on it, see how much it hurts when you turn it off. Right. Because, you, yeah. you know, if you, if you put a limited scope on this thing to begin with, right. If you said, we will do this for the next three months, see how it works. Right. And then you get to the end of that three months and you say, we really appreciate you working with us on this. Now we have to turn it off. Right. If yeah. they come back to you and you say, wait, no, don't turn it off. We need to keep this going, right? That's when you say, okay, this is something that's valuable. If they say, okay, thanks, right, and move on, yeah. okay, this was probably, this was fun, but it was probably not ever going to be a real um, product. Yeah. The, the second- But also on the front end, on the front end, don't, don't pick up those dishonest or disengaged clients, and especially not when you're- you know, doing trial type things when you're trying to build something out from scratch, it's totally new. Like you need somebody who's going to be engaged and who's really going to agree. Once they agree to give you that feedback, who's actually going to give it to you. And he's, he's going to be a partner in that process. Don't yeah. like the, this is not the time to be testing out clients who are going to be unresponsive or unengaged. Like this is not the time for that. 
the the first so the first way is pro bono the second way that i would try to do this is by some some sort of market research or maybe even some sort of dashboarding uh not dashboarding benchmarking um process <laughs> to begin with right and so you know it like again dashboarding is a, is a great example right there's a million options out there already plus you can build your own right so what is all that going for what are people paying for that already what works about it what does and that's when you go to your clients or your prospects and you ask them, all these things already exist. Are you using any of them? If not, why? Have you tried any of them? If not, why? Right. And just get a feel for if this is any like, is this an actual itch that anybody's trying to scratch? If not, right, then it's probably something you just need to move on. If it's an itch that's out there that everybody is trying to scratch, but nobody's found the right cure for it that's when it's something that you need to figure out what's already out there and why it's not working for people. 100%. Well, I think that's a great summary of how you start to offer new services and how you start to price them. Subscription model, it's fairly simple, fairly straightforward. That's kind of the safety net. Pro bono is an option. Um, I'm totally blanking on the third option. <laughs> Is the uh, well, I I think it, I think it's benchmarking or market research, right? You know, market research, yeah, yes, yeah, would be the approach that I would go with. Right. Okay. So three options on how to price new services, and then a whole bunch of ideas as far as how to kind of put guardrails around what you're doing and how you're doing it, and try to protect yourself as you're venturing out into the new wilderness. So, Jeremy, this has been a great conversation. Where can everybody find you? I am on Twitter at jwellscfo and also on the internet at jwellscfo.com. Awesome. And I am Chris Hervishan on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. And we will talk to you next time. This has been a great episode and thanks for listening. Hey, it's Jeremy. Thanks for listening to the CPA Advisory Show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others. Leave a rating and write us a review. We'll probably read your review on the air too. To catch all the latest from us, follow us on Twitter at CPA Advisory Show. If you have a topic or guest you'd like to hear on the show, let us know by emailing host at cpaadvisoryshow.com. Thanks again. 